We're studying the book of Proverbs this summer and, and this fall, and I invite you to turn to pages 9 and 10 in the bulletin that has our verses for this week. Uh, we've taken a sort of a selection of Proverbs that all hit the same theme each week to uh, learn the wisdom of Proverbs. And just by means of announcement, trying to give you the big picture, letting you know where we're at, uh, my plan is that next Sunday will be our last Sunday in the book of Proverbs. We've covered a number of topics. I think this is week 23 in Proverbs, if I'm, I haven't counted in a while, but I think that's where we're at. Next week, uh, we'll look at chapter 31 in the book of Proverbs, and after that, we will move back to the New Testament for a while. But today we're looking at a, an important although perhaps difficult to hear topic, and and you can see the title of the sermon is How to Accept a Rebuke. How to Accept a Rebuke. Uh, Perhaps not the cheeriest of topics for the day, but but definitely one of the most important. Uh, When you read the book of Proverbs, it is one of the most uh, important ways that that you become wise. There's There's no wisdom without opening your own soul humbly to the wisdom of others. So, Uh, I'm going to read these verses. It's uh, page 9 and a little bit of page 10 in the bulletin. And let me ask if you're able, would you please join me in standing as we hear the reading of God's holy word together? Uh, This are verses from the book of Proverbs, uh, starting with chapter 3, verse 11. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Where there is guidance, where, excuse me, where there is no guidance, the people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The ear that li- listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. Plans are established by counsel. By wise guidance, wage war. When a scoffer is punished, the simple become wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that it imparts to us, uh, the path that it invites us to follow, the life that it offers to those who listen. And we pray, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, that you would open our hearts, that we might be those who listen. Uh, Give us open ears, Lord, give us a heart that seeks the wisdom that comes from above, that we may walk every day in the fear of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
Well, I grew up around the Navigators, which is a, a collegiate campus ministry. And one of, the, uh, one of the really good realities of campus ministry is that those college years for many people are a very formative time. And as a campus minister, you have that, uh, that ability in that season of life to really make a difference in helping people form their foundational convictions about life. One of the challenges of campus ministry is that those years for most people are, are short. School goes quickly. You only have those students uh, maybe eight months out of the year to, to invest in them. And so the Navigators had a, had a little acronym. They said, you know, time is short. Uh, we want to make the most of this season. So who should you as a campus minister choose to really invest your time and your energy in? And they said, you should look for somebody who is fat, F-A-T, faithful, available, and teachable. Uh, you had to find someone who was faithful, that was, they were committed, uh, they, would, they would stick with it. Someone who was available, obviously, if they're not available, you can't minister to them or invest in them. Uh, but the final thing was, they had to be someone who was teachable. And if someone is not teachable, if they're not willing to listen, if they're not open to instruction, then you're not going to get anywhere uh, with, with your ministry, no matter how much time you invest in them. So they said, uh, look for someone who's teachable. A person will never grow in spiritual maturity if they're not teachable. And if they don't have that inner humility to be able to listen, to believe that other people have something of value that they can teach them. The reality is some people are just too proud, or too stubborn to be able to listen. Those people don't grow a whole lot in life. Right? They stay stuck where they are. And Proverbs agrees with this criteria. It says you'll never become wise in life if you don't have the humility to be teachable. But it's actually even deeper than that. Not only will you never become wise, the reality is you'll never know life in Christ if you're not teachable. Why? Because one of the deepest forms of teachability is repentance. It's the ability to recognize your own sin, to listen to the conviction of, of Christ through Scripture and be able to turn from that and seek life. So Proverbs walks us through this, and you heard the Proverbs about the value of listening to advice, the value of accepting rebuke, of being able to, to learn. And so I've just broken them down into three sections here. Number one is, is learn to take advice. Number two, learn to heed reproof. And number three, learn how to repent because it is the pathway to life. So number one is, is learn how to take advice. And I think there's something really interesting and just a, a little bit ironic about realizing that in Proverbs, the wise person is the person who knows how to take advice. Don't we, wouldn't we assume, right, just off the top of our heads maybe, that the wise person doesn't have to take advice. The wise person is the one who's always giving out advice. Right? They're wise. We should be going to them. Proverbs says that may be true, but it's equally true that if you are wise, you are able to take advice. You become willing to listen. Uh, you become the advisee as well as the advisor. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, we've met a lot of different characters. One of the worst characters, one of the most uh, hopeless characters for whom there's very little hope is that person who is wise in their own eyes. Right? The person that Proverbs describes as wise in their own eyes. Uh, look at uh, 26, 12. Oh, I didn't put that one in the bulletin. Darn, but 26.12, you can write it down. 
it says, there is more hope for a fool than for the person who is wise in their own eyes. Right? More hope for a fool than this person, because this is the, the most hopeless person in Proverbs, the one who is wise in their own eyes. Right? They don't listen to advice. They won't accept correction. Right? There's nothing you can say to them. You can't help them. You can't help them to improve, to, to learn, to grow, because they're already wise in their own eyes. There's nothing you can do. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8, we've said before, these are foundational verses that set the tone for the entire book of Proverbs. Uh, and we've said this many times, that this is one of those, those funny ironies at the very beginning of the book, that, that this book is dedicated to the pursuit of wisdom, to growing in wisdom, to learning wisdom, and yet it says right up front, don't trust your own wisdom. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust your own wisdom. And, and then it goes on to say, verse 7, the very next verse, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See, being wise in your own eyes means you're not fearing the Lord. You're not turning away from evil. It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Here's a whole book dedicated to helping you learn wisdom. But don't get to the point of being wise in your own eyes. Be able to take advice. Be able to listen to others. Right? No matter how wise you get, you never get to that point where you have all the wisdom you need, right? where you have arrived, and now all that remains is for you to dispense that wisdom to others. You no longer have to, to, to learn, to receive, to listen. That's a, a very faulty conception of what biblical wisdom is. Biblical wisdom is humility. Biblical wisdom is always seeking to grow, always seeking to learn from others. We need to learn how to take advice, not only to take advice, but to seek out advice. Right? If it's wise to receive advice, how much more wise to actually seek it out, to go to others who can help. Uh, look at 18.1. That's in the bulletin. 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Here's the person. They isolate themselves. They're a community unto themselves. There's no room in their lives for listening to others, for making room for people to speak into their lives. They've isolated themselves. They don't allow anyone to give them advice. When we hear that, we kind of hear and we can understand how arrogant that is. And to have this idea that there is no one out there who can really speak to me. There's no one out there who can give me any advice that would be worth my time to listen to. It's a form of pride. It's the person who's isolating themselves. There's no accountability. There's no iron sharpening iron. There's no chance to learn from others because they're isolated. Whereas the wise are those who seek out counselors and listen to advice. Uh, 11.14, where there is no guidance that people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So I want to... So here's one thing I've learned from my dad. Um... Whenever, some of you have met my dad who was here a couple of weeks ago. Whenever my dad and I are together, whether he's out here visiting or, or we're in Colorado visiting, he and I always have time uh, to go out to coffee together during our visits. And we just talk, you know, as you do, about life. Uh, he was in ministry his whole career, so it's fun to talk shop, right, to compare experiences and strategies. And we talk about all sorts of things. One thing he does every time, towards, somewhere towards the end of our discussion usually, is he says to me, so what advice do you have for me? 
Now, if he had asked me that when I was a teenager, I probably would have had all kinds of advice to share with him. But the truth is, the older I get, the less I have to say. I think, Dad, you should be giving me advice. Don't be asking me for advice, right? I, I need your wisdom, right? You don't need my wisdom. Uh, and he's always asking, and he'll ask, you know, how can I be a better parent to you in this season of your life? Or he'll ask, how can I love your kids better? Right? Am I being a, a good grandfather? What can I do to show our love better towards them? Uh, and do you see what he's doing there? Even at, at age 71, he's still seeking input. He's seeking out advice. He's seeking out the safety that comes in an abundance of counselors. Right? He's not yet assuming that he has reached his full potential, his full wisdom, where now all that is left is for him to dispense advice from the mountaintop. He's still seeking to grow. Right? He still uh, is seeking to find a blind spots. He wants to be able to grow in his ability to love others well. Right? Even his children, his own grandchildren. And so he, he'll just ask, you know, what advice do you have for me? How can I do better? That's, that's the wisdom of Proverbs for us. It says there's safety and an abundance of counselors. The wise man listens to advice. With many advisors, plans will succeed. The wise person is the person who's humble enough to know how badly they still need other people's wisdom and input speaking into their life. Now, this is where we need to be specific, right? About seeking advice, about being teachable, about being humble, right? So if you're married, one of the things that teachability looks like is it means you recognize that you still have a lot to learn about what it means to be a good husband or a good wife to your particular spouse, right? It's not just enough to say, well, I need to learn more about marriage but I need to learn more about how I can love my particular wife that God has given me, right? or your particular husband. Or if you're a parent, how you can better love and serve your particular children right, that God has blessed you with and put in your family. Or if you're a neighbor, how can you do a better job of, of loving your particular neighbors? Right? There are actual specific people around us that need us. So, Number one, if we're wise, we listen to advice. We maintain teachability. But second, we also learn how to heed reproof. And this is a, putting a little finer point on, on accepting advice. This is, this is saying, here's one particular kind of advice that the wise person is open to. And that is accepting reproof. Right? Reproof is when someone points out a particular sin, a weakness, or flaw, or blind spot, or oversight, in your own life, hopefully it's done gently, <laughs> so it helps you to receive it. But this is meant to be a regular feature of the Christian life. And, and reproof or rebuke, if there's one thing we know about it, it's that it's almost universally hard for us to hear it. Right? We, we accept this, we say, okay, Proverbs is going to say the wise man listens to a reproof. Right? They accept rebuke. We all know right off the bat how difficult that is. Right? It, it strikes at our pride, we, we get defensive, we argue. We know it's difficult to accept a rebuke, but Proverbs is going to say that it is important. Right? So 15.12 says, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. Okay, well, none of us really like to be reproved, right? As we grow in wisdom, we see the value of it, and we learn how to humbly accept it, how to listen, right? how to deal with that. 
we don't like it per se. But it's important. This is part of wisdom. It's uncomfortable, but it takes a wise person to be able to listen to a reproof. And to be able to, to keep sort of the shields down, to not get defensive, to not get argumentative, and, and to seek out the truth in that reproof and seek to grow from it. Think about, for a moment, let's just zoom out right, and think about the entire biblical picture of reproof. This is part of the way that God designs for us to grow as Christians. It is for us to become aware of our various weaknesses and blind spots, to be able to see them so that we can correct them. Right? You have to be able to know where your weaknesses are so you can address them. This is a regular feature of the Christian life. We're all born as sinners. Right? We're all born as fools. And we act foolishly until we grow slowly but surely in the wisdom that the scriptures teach us. And because God cares about that, he cares about your growth, he, grow, he cares about your humility, right? he will provide for you to grow even through the difficult discipline of accepting a rebuke. Right? In the logic of scripture, rebu- rebuke is meant to be a gift. It's meant to be a gift to help us become wise uh, it, it, in the sense, it's like if we picture the shepherd of the sheep and one sheep has wandered away from the, the, the green pastures, he's gotten past the fence, he's about to walk over the cliff, and the shepherd sometimes has to use the, the hook of his staff and grab that sheep and yank it back from the edge of the cliff. And that is very uncomfortable in that moment for that sheep to be yanked back with that staff. But we recognize what a gift it is. He was close to death and he was brought back into the green pastures, brought back into safety by the shepherd. And here's why Proverbs 9, 8, see what it says, the second half? Reprove a wise man and he will love you. That's the wise man. The wise man recognizes that though the reproof is difficult to hear, it's an act of love. At least hopefully it's offered gently in love, uh, but it's meant to be for our good uh, reproof is a necessary part of growing in wisdom. One of my professors from seminary, Dan Doriani, wrote an article that I found this week, wrote it this week, on the Gospel Coalition website. It was called, Reproof is a Pastor's Gift of Love. I thought, well, that's a well-timed article. <laughs> We're studying reproof in Proverbs this week. And he says, All Christian love for one another includes accepting love, and transforming love. All Christian love, both God's love for you as well as a Christian's love for one another, includes two things, accepting love and transforming love. Right? Uh, Reproof and rebuke are meant to be acts of love. Right? So love is accepting. Right? So, So we look at one another and we say, we accept you. Right? Or God looks at you, he says, I accept you. All your sins, all your flaws, all your shortcomings, I accept you for who you are. But his love for us doesn't leave us there. There's also the transforming love that says, because I love you, I'm not willing to leave you where you are in your sin. I want to see growth in holiness, right? progress in maturity in the Christian life. And so there is a transforming love, both in God's love to us, and it also happens in our love for one another. Accepting love and transforming love. See, the goal of rebuke is always growth in Christian maturity. It's growth in Christian maturity. uh, Rebuke is not just an opportunity for for you to sort of vent your spirit at somebody. 
And to sort of let them know how you feel so you rebuke them in anger, that's not godly rebuke at all. A godly rebuke comes out of a, a heart of love, a desire to see somebody you care about deeply, see them grow in Christ. And so you gently make them aware of the way that they're sinning, this blind spot that they have. Uh, and, and this is God's discipline of his children, is it not? It doesn't come from his annoyance with us, right? He's not the, the annoyed father who just doesn't have time for his children, just can't, can't be bothered by them. God's discipline of his children always comes out of his heart of love. It always comes out of a desire to see his children walk in safety, grow in Christian maturity, and grow in holiness. There's an accepting love. There's also a transforming love. And, and here's what Dan Doriani wrote. He said, without accepting love, transforming love criticizes and pesters and is never satisfied. See, we know that kind of rebuke. But he also says, without transforming love, accepting love decays into indulgence or even into neglect. Right? Real love must include that transforming love or it's not true love. And Proverbs says the wise person, part of the wisdom is the ability to accept it, to accept the transforming love, to accept the rebuke, to accept the necessary words. Look at 17.10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Right? What's the fool say? The fool says, you can't tell me what to do. Right? Stay out of my business. Right? Uh, the fool can only accept the accepting love. They can't accept the transforming love. But Proverbs says the wise person, they accept it and it goes deep. And they accept the reproof, the rebuke, the advice, and it goes deep into them. Right? Uh, it goes deep, so, so it's not just a one-time behavior modification, but the wise person, rather, is going to consider that heart level. Right? That, that they're going to consider their sin. They're going to consider the impact it has on others. They're going to consider how to move forward in wisdom, how to learn from it. The wise person accepts the rebuke. Now, but what does the wise person do when even they, they receive a rebuke that is not offered in love and is not offered gently and is not easy to accept? It's critical. It's demeaning. It's harsh. Charles Spurgeon once said, and you might know the name Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor uh, in England, London, long ago. Very large church, several thousand people. Uh, and he was the kind of person who was always uh, liable to hear people's opinions about what he said or did. And he said, here's what his strategy was when he received a rebuke or a reproof that was overly harsh and overly critical and not said in love. He said, it's necessary. He was speaking to pastors. So he said, it's necessary for the pastor to have one blind eye and one deaf ear, but also one seeing eye and one hearing ear, so that when you receive a harsh and critical, unloving rebuke, he said, what I do is I turn my deaf ear and my blind eye to the tone of what they say. But I can't write it off completely. Or that would be a lack of teachability. That would be a lack of wisdom and a lack of humility. So I also have to have one hearing ear to listen and see if there is any kernel of truth in what the person has to say. Now, we know how hard that is right, to hear an unloving rebuke harshly offered and to have the humility to, to ask, is there a kernel of truth in what this person is saying? Right? We hear the tone and we just want to write the whole thing off. 
And so he says, I have to have one deaf ear for that tone, but I also have to have the hearing ear, or I'm not really growing in wisdom. Think about yourself for a moment. How well do you receive a rebuke? How well are you able, how easily are you able to, give advi- to take advice? What if it's even the kind of advice that's hard to hear? Are you able to receive it? Are you able to wisely be thankful, to humble yourself before it? Or does it just make you a little bit steamed at the person who gave it to you? See, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. In fact, if, if you're wondering if you're growing in wisdom, one of Proverbs' diagnostic questions would be, do you seek out advice? Are you able to listen? Are you able to accept rebuke? The wise person has that humility that allows them to receive the rebuke, to listen to it, uh, to receive it. Why? They have a greater desire to grow in humility, to walk in the fear of the Lord, to live a life that is pleasing to God than for maintaining their own reputation. For maintaining their reputation as the person who has it all together, who doesn't need anybody else. They would rather listen to the wise rebuke and and grow from it. Now, the most important rebukes always come from the Bible itself. We have to be willing to listen. Think about 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's the purpose for reading the scriptures is that the scriptures are able to teach us, to rebuke us, they're able to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. That is, in in walking in newness of life, walking in the fear of the Lord. So, you know, it's possible for someone to know the Bible inside and out and yet never really listen to it, never really open your own life to it and say, I will allow the Bible to speak into my life with authority. And where it corrects me, I will listen And where it rebukes my sin, I will humble myself before it. Because the Bible rebukes your sin. We read it, and it gives us this picture of saying, here is is sin that the Lord hates, here is righteousness, this is what he desires. And that key part of the Christian life is knowing, how do I continue to put to death the sin that remains in my life? God does not define me by my sin, he doesn't see me in terms of my sin, but, but nevertheless... I ought to walk in newness of life, and so I'm putting to death that sin. I'm allowing the Bible to rebuke my life where necessary, to correct me. Jerry Bridges, who I quote a lot, he was a fantastic Bible teacher, and he, he says he still remembers that time in college when he learned, or, or when you know, he realized for the first time a very simple but profound truth that the Bible is meant to be applied to daily life. Right? It's meant to be able to rebuke us. It's meant to be a guide, and a guide is no good if he can't tell us that we're doing the wrong thing and correct us. And the wise person is able to listen. The wise person accepts the rebuke of the scriptures and walks in newness of life. Now, the wise person listens to advice, they accept rebuke, and finally they learn repentance because repentance is the path to life. We need to to get to this point. We've said a lot of good things, I think. Uh, But here's the big question. Why is it that listening to reproof is so necessary for living the Christian life? 
Right? It's not just a good idea. It's not just sort of a take it or leave it sort of thing. But it's necessary. It's vital. It's foundational to the Christian life. Uh, and the answer, I think, comes in 1531. 1531. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Now, did you hear how that verse described it? When we think of reproof and rebuke, we tend to think of something that is very uncomfortable. Uh, It's painful. It's kind of like death. Proverbs says reproof is is life-giving. Right? The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. What is the logic there? Why is it that reproof is seen as life-giving? Reproof is life-giving because it leads us to Christ. Reproof and rebuke, as we've said, they're meant to show us our sin in order that we may humble ourselves in repentance and turn to Christ. See, we tend to be very protective of our self-esteem. We all are. It's... You know, that's our natural fallen condition. We're protective of ourselves. We want people to think highly of us. We have a reputation. We want to protect it. And because of that, rebuke always feels painful. Right? It's pointing out our sins. It can feel humiliating. It's a blow to our pride. But in God's economy, in God's picture of life, rebuke and reproof are meant to humble us in the best possible way the best possible way to help us to see with new eyes the the ongoing, continuing reality of our sin, to be more aware of our sin than we were before, not in order to be dragging us down, but but in order to uh, help us to grow in humility. We need rebuke. Without rebuke our pride just gets more and more puffed up maybe we lose touch with the effect that our actions have on those around us because we can never listen to constructive criticism but the wise person who listens to rebuke says this is meant to free me from pride it's meant to burst that bubble of pride uh, help me to see my sin and then it takes me by the hand and it brings me to jesus right rebuke is what helps us cling to christ rebuke is what shows us our need for christ Apart from it, we're just going to get further away. We're not going to know how badly we need a Savior. We're not going to appreciate what God has done for us in Christ and loving us while we were yet sinners. And therefore, when we receive a reproof or a rebuke, and and any time that deals a particularly painful blow to your pride, one thing we ought to do with it is use that as an opportunity uh, to remind ourselves Remind ourselves of the truth that in reality, we are far worse than the person rebuking us thinks that we are. Right? Rather than getting defensive, rather than building ourselves back up in our pride and saying, no, 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 you don't know how good I am, we ought to be doing the opposite, shouldn't we? Listening to that rebuke, listening to the reproof, and saying, if this person offering correction knew the reality, if they knew how deep my sin actually went in my heart, they would rebuke me a hundred times over. And rather than being uh, you know, hateful or spiteful towards them, we, we become thankful for that because what they have done is given us another opportunity renewed day by day to say, I know my sin, but I also know my Savior. I know 
I know my weaknesses, right? We don't have to be afraid of those. We don't have to live in the fear that our sins are going to be known to us. They're already known to God, and yet he holds none of them against us, does he? And he loved us while we were yet sinners. He knows your sin better than you do. And yet he has chosen, with full knowledge of who you are, to to forgive them and to love you, to accept you into his family as as his child. You see, Jesus is actually a wonderful friend for who? He's the friend of sinners. Do you remember the time in in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus was dining with Levi and all Levi's tax collector friends and his sinner friends in his house and all the Pharisees were standing outside and their pride was so hurt by the fact that Jesus had chosen to dine with the tax collectors and the sinners, not with them. They were on the outside and, and Jesus, of course, knew what was going on in their hearts, and he, he called them on it. He said, those who are well, they have no need of a physician. Those who are sick do. And he said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the biggest spiritual danger that you face day by day is not the temporary emotional or, or social discomfort that comes when, when somebody brings a, a rebuke. The biggest danger is the danger of our own unchecked pride. The danger of forgetting our sin. The danger of forgetting how badly we need a Savior. And then becoming spiritually insufferable. Because when that happens, that's when we drift away from Jesus. We have no need. If we don't know we're sick, we don't go to the physician. But when we know our sin, when we allow our own soul to be humbled by it, we go and we find our physician is wonderful. He is a friend for us. He loves us. He cares about us. And he knows what to do with our sins. He takes them completely away. The wise person accepts the rebuke because they know the safest possible place to be is is in the place of utter dependence on Jesus. Walking with him, knowing our sins and yet knowing our Savior as well. Reproof is an invitation to repentance. And repentance is the pathway to life. See, that's why the danger of not listening is so stark in 29.1, the last verse in the bulletin, where it says, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Because this is talking about repentance, the pathway to life, the only way to come to Jesus. And God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. See, and accepting a rebuke is a great test of humility. An even greater test is when you get to that point where rebukes no longer surprise you, or you're not caught off guard by them, or you're not suddenly uh, offended and have to think about them, but where your natural inclination is to say, yes, this, that's normal. This doesn't surprise me. I'm aware of my own sin. And the danger is stark in 29.1, but, but the reward again in 15.31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. I think perhaps that's Proverbs' own way of saying that those who repent will be welcomed into the kingdom. That the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And friends, the kingdom is open. The invitation is there. You are welcome to listen to the reproof of your sins and to repent and to find a Savior who who waits with open arms for those who are willing to listen. 
for those who are willing to repent, for those who know their sins and come to Jesus. That's why Proverbs says, wisdom is calling. At the corner of every street, wisdom is calling. Will you listen? Will you come to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God in the book of Proverbs for us. Thank you for the invitation to be wise. Thank you for the descriptions that meet us where we are and that show us the nature of wisdom. Lord, we pray that the power of your Holy Spirit will take these words that we have read and will press them on our hearts and that it will find fertile ground and soft soil where the word of God will take root, where it will flourish and where it will bear fruit to the glory of God 30, 60, 100 times that which has been sown. We pray this for your glory, O Lord, through the humility of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.